Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or if you have one of our apps, you can ask the question that way. And of course, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Before we get to some questions, two quick things. One, tonight I'm going to be teaching Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, I think it's really interesting, at least it is to me, because it's very practical and it's sort of my favorite thing. So Leviticus 19 tonight, you can watch it at calvarysa.com or you can join us. We always have room uh, in the sanctuary on Wednesday nights. And uh, tomorrow, of course, Paula will be live in studio uh, with the date day edition of the program, and we look forward to that. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls, and we'd love your calls. Um, this first one is an anonymous question. It says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I know transgenderism is wrong, but where in the Bible does it say that? Thank you for your help. Now, obviously, anonymous, there is no place in the Bible. You can't go to your uh, concordance and look up transgender issues or transgenderism uh, because the, the world didn't even think about those kind of things. It was so impossible for them to think in those terms that the Bible doesn't address that specific issue in the way that you're asking. What it does suggest and what it states very clearly is that God made us male and female. He didn't say made us male and female, we can change. And the reason transgenderism, to use your word, is is so evil is because it is a direct attack on the sovereignty of God, on the plan of God, on the creation of God. In Ephesians 2.10, God says that we are 
the best thing he ever made. Where is poema? That's the word in the Greek. It's his, his expression of beauty. And he made us the way we are. Now, obviously, God only made Adam and Eve with his own hand. The rest of us, of course, were created by the process that God created. Uh, and when we are rebelling against who we are at birth, our biological gender, then we are rebelling against God. And we're rebelling. What we're saying is, okay, uh, Lord, you made us this way, but we don't care about that. Uh, I want to be this or I want to be that. And that's simply contrary uh, to everything that the Bible teaches us. So keep in mind, when you're looking at an issue like this, um, um, this would never be considered um, an issue in the ancient world. And so obviously uh, not being able to think that this kind of thing could be possible, it wouldn't have been addressed. Uh, principally, uh, it's addressed. Um, God made them male and female. Male and female created he them. And uh, what we've got to do is understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we doubt that because we don't like who we are, or if we doubt that because we have been brainwashed by social media or by our school systems, um, then that's tough. God says, I'm the Lord. That's the key for Leviticus. I'm sorry. That's the key for Leviticus chapter 19. I think 16 times in that one chapter, he says, I am the Lord. In other words, he's the one who makes the choices. So anonymous, I hope that helps. Here is a question. This one is from Hallie. Tough question. Hallie says, I want my kids out of public school, but can't afford a private school. Would it be okay to enroll them in a Catholic school where I could get financial assistance or a Seventh-day Adventist school that I could afford? Um, Hallie, I sympathize with you. Um, having your kids out of public school, I think, at this particular time in our history is essential. I can no longer, and I've always been a public school proponent. Uh, I'm not one of those guys who said, well, Christian kids need to be homeschooled or they need to be in a Christian school. I was never that way. And the reason I was never that way is because I think public school and public school kids need light too. But when your children are actively targeted by this brainwashing, um, when everything that they're cramming down their throat, they're not teaching them to read and write and, and, and do math any longer. They're, they're, they're trying to socially um, change and culturally change the very nature of who they are. And when that's the case, uh, Hallie, then, then I just can no longer um, suggest at all that children go to public schools. And I'm starting to feel that same way about colleges, by the way. That's down the road. But I'm starting to feel the same way about sending them to university. Uh, so a couple of things. Um, first, let me say, there are many, many, many public school teachers who love Jesus with all of their heart. And they are as mortified by the things that are going on in public schools uh, as we are. Uh, the, the problem is that they don't really have a voice. Uh, God has them stationed there. There's always going to be light in the middle of darkness, and we need them there. Their witness is important. So this isn't a slight on public school teachers. It's only a slight on public school teachers who have um, lock, stock, and barrel bought 
uh, the whole agenda. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is um, it would not be okay to send them to a Catholic school because you could afford it, um, because of financial, or a Seventh-day Adventist school, because both of those um, churches associated with those schools teach heretical things. So no, if you go to Catholic school, they're gonna they're gonna learn um, things that are in contradiction to your Bible. If you take them to a Seventh Day Adventist school, they're gonna grow up sour and legalists, and you, so you just cannot do that. Don't make that compromise. So here's what you do: you need to really, really seek the Lord in prayer. Now there are alternatives, and and I'm gonna say this knowing that I can't help a lot of people because of our space. But, for example, and I think this is you're going to see this proliferate uh, even more in the days to come. Uh, we have a, an absolutely free school. We've got 25 years, or this is, I think, our 25th year uh, at, of our private school. Um, and we charge nothing. It's absolutely free. It's very rigorous academically. Our kids test wonderfully. Uh, we our kids are getting accepted into universities, um, not just local universities or Texas universities, but literally all over the country and 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 many many of the really really hard to get in schools, um, um, and and you know God understands your situation and He's provided um, at least at our place He's provided uh, for 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 those needs. So, you know, I don't know where you live, but certainly you can go on uh, our website, calvarysa.com, uh, click on the school link, and you can put your kids on a waiting list. Now, here's the reason I brought it up. We're, we're getting ready to move, uh, not this school year, but next school year into a much bigger facility. And we're going to be able to have, we got 135 kids in our school now. And it's just because we can't fit any more than that in. And we've always had this huge waiting list. Uh, and we will no longer need to keep that waiting list because we're going to have the space to do it. Our teachers come from our school. We don't hire from outside. These are people that we know, uh, people that have been tested. We know their hearts. We know their position on doctrine. Uh, and, and so these, th- this, is a f- this is family, really. And uh, you get on the waiting list, and uh, that problem could be solved perhaps as early as our next school year, um, 2024. So, Hallie, I am sorry for the difficulty that you're having, but understand it. Uh, pray. This is let the Lord provide. I think we need to take steps of faith and let the Lord provide. One other comment. I said I'd only make two, and I made I made those two, but here's the third one. Uh, I'm also not a proponent of homeschool unless the parent doing the homeschooling is gifted to teach. I think just having them at home um, and a parent struggling to be a teacher that he or she is not really called by God to do, I don't think that's a good option as well. So I hope that helps. Sean says, how can we know the Bible is really the Word of God? Now, Sean, I'm going to give you the short answer on this because I could do the rest of the program on this. But um, you've got to find out for yourself. You've got to be interested enough. You've got to demonstrate to the Lord that your your curiosity, your intellectual curiosity is honest. And you've got to ask him to show you. Now, there's all kinds of resources, and I'll give you uh, a, a, a couple of them uh, to pursue. Uh, but, but this is really something that you need to dig into 
and become convinced of on your own. Um, I've shared many times on this program my uh, walk with the Lord, my my whole walk, my calling, everything hinged on this one thing. Uh, I was a new believer. I had a million questions. Every time I would ask a question, a Christian would say, the Bible says. Now, remember, I'd never opened a Bible. So I didn't know anything about the Bible, except that, that I didn't understand how the Bible could be the Word of God when it was written by men, and I knew that much. I knew it was written by men. And the um, um, response that I had was, well, i got to find out. If they, everybody says their, their answers are based on the Bible, I, how can I trust the Bible? How do I know it's really the Word of God, or is it a book written by men? And, Sean, I made it my point, uh, the purpose of my life, to find out the answer to that question. And I really and truly dug in. Uh, I examined the the the, the research, um, you know, the, the acronym MAPS, um, um, manuscript evidence, uh, archaeological evidence, prophetic um, evidence, and of course the spiritual evidence, the the, the result of people being uh, filled by the Spirit of God. But but there's more than that as well. And I just had to find out. Now, in my particular case, now, Sean, I know there are people that this takes a much longer time for. But for me, it was less than three months. And I read everything I could get my hands on all the while, really, really, really digging in the Bible. And when something didn't make sense to me, then I would get into any commentary that I could. I wanted to find out uh, how I could make sense of a particular thing. Um, and, and finally, after just less than three months, um, I'll never forget the moment. It was me sitting alone in a big room at a school of theology library that was in my neighborhood. Um, and it was as though Jesus was in the room with me. Now, he wasn't actually in the room with me physically, but it was as though he was. And I, I just was digging in and a question that, that I had rattling around in my mind got answered. I thought, oh, well, that makes sense. And it was like Jesus was saying, okay, are you convinced yet? Or are we going to waste more time? And I was absolutely convinced at that point. And Sean, from that moment forward, my life changed. From that moment forward, I never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that I was going to heaven. Um, I knew that he was now in charge of my life. And I knew that I could trust the Bible and that all of the answers for life were in that Bible. And that's when everything changed for me. You've got to do that as well. Now, let me give you a couple of resources, Sean, and you can dig, do some, do some research. I'll give you two easy ones and then, then one that's um, really pretty scholarly and, and, and a difficult read if you like that. Um, I would recommend the last one. The first one is a little paperback. Know what you believe and why you believe. They're two separate paperbacks uh, written by a man named Paul A. Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E. I was exposed to those books uh, as soon as I went to Bible college, um, having by that time been convinced that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, I didn't need anything more than that. Uh, the second one is The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel. 
uh, Lee Strobel. Uh, it was famous for the, the, the book, The Case for Christ. That was his first one. But he has another one, The Case for the Bible. And then the scholarly one. I said I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you four. The really difficult one, but but really important, is uh, the the new version, the new evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Um, and and that has not just about the Bible. There's an entire section about the Bible. In it, how we got the canon of scripture, uh, how we know we can depend on it. It talks about the manuscript evidence, the archaeological evidence. It talks about all of those things, the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, it's, it's just just wonderfully done. The new evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. And then finally, there is a book by my favorite commentator of all time, F. F, like Frank Frank, F.F. Bruce, and it's called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? And uh, when you when you really dig in and get those, uh, you're going to be convinced. But what's required is being interested enough to really dig in. You can't just open a Bible and say, okay, Lord, reveal it to me. I've got to put in the work because you've got to be convinced. And once you are, I promise you, it will change your life. So, Sean, thank you very, very much. I realized to the audience that I said I was going to give you the short answer and then talk for probably 10 minutes on that one question. So, uh, please forgive me. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Glenn says, Pastor Ron, I was disappointed in your position on Halloween. I think you should apologize. Um, well, Glenn, I'm not going to apologize because it's my position. And biblically, you don't have anything that says, uh, thou shalt not do Halloween. My position is simple. You know, the, the theme of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, 21. Uh, the theme of the Bible is redemption. And I think we can take uh, a, a, what on the surface is an evil holiday and we can redeem it. We can make it something that honors God. Now, if you're honest, Glenn, we do that with Christmas. I'm sure you celebrate Christmas. We do that with Easter. Uh, we take Easter and make it Resurrection Sunday. We've redeemed those pagan holidays, those origins, and we've redeemed them to, to be something where God is glorified. And my position on Halloween is I just don't think Christian kids ought to be told by their parents that, oh, Christian kids aren't allowed to have fun. I think what we do is we use our creativity and, 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 and let the Spirit sort of lead, and, and we dress up like biblical characters. We use it as an opportunity to witness. And so, Glenn, I'm not going to apologize. Um, I think the kind of legalism that your question is demonstrating is harmful, uh, and I think it misses the point of what God has already done for us uh, in our walk with the Lord. Marla. Ooh, I went to high school with a girl named Marla. I haven't heard that name since high school. Marla says, Pastor, in Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41, the Bible says, One will be taken, another laughed. Uh, another left, I'm sorry. Is this referring to the rapture? Marla, it is not. Now, uh, there are positions who take that uh, position uh, because it sounds like the rapture, but we need to remember Jesus wasn't speaking about the rapture of the church. The church wasn't even known then. Jesus' ministry was Jewish. It was completely Jewish. 
And so what he's saying, Jesus is warning about the city of Jerusalem being surrounded by, by what turned out to be Roman troops, and the destruction he promised was going to be complete, not one stone left standing upon another. And uh, the position is, or the, the context there is judgment. So what he's saying, when you see these things happen, run to the hills. It's dreadful for pregnant women. It's dreadful uh, if it's in winter because you're not going to be able to get out fast enough. It's smart. We, what he's saying is go. Now, we know that 38 years after Jesus' death, and resurrection, the Roman general Titus surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And there were some people who remembered what Jesus said, and their lives were saved as a result of it. Uh, the rest of them were, were judged in the slaughter uh, in Jerusalem. This is 70 AD. Um, the, the, the temple was completely, utterly destroyed. Uh, and people, many, many, many people, lost their lives. Thousands, tens of thousands lost their lives. So what he's saying is one will be taken, another left, they'll be taken in judgment. And of course, those who died apart from believing in Jesus Christ in 70 AD, they went to um, the place of torment uh, that Luke describes in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And those who were left were left alive um, and and would, would have more opportunities. But that's what he's talking about. Now, Marla, something else that's important to understand. The rapture was a mystery. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, the Apostle Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, there were four mysteries that... Uh, um, the Lord revealed to the Apostle Paul. Think about the, the, the three years in the Arabian wilderness where where Paul was being instructed by Jesus. That wasn't three straight years, but Jesus would appear to him and do these things. And Jesus revealed mysteries, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the mystery of church, Jew and Gentile, becoming one, not two, not a Messianic church and a Christian church, but two becoming one. Uh, and and then, of course, this mystery, the mystery of the rapture. And he says, um, I tell you the truth, in a, in a, I tell you a mystery in, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Um, we will not all die, but we will be changed. And uh, that's a reference to the rapture. Now, that it is a mystery means, the Greek word is musterion, and it means that um, it's never been revealed before in its entirety. Now, there were hints. Certainly in the Old Testament, we got all kinds of pictures and types of the rapture. Um, there were hints about the rapture. Um, Jesus himself said, uh, um, I, 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 it's good that I go away. If I go away, I'll come and get you and take you to be with me where I am. John chapter 14. Um, but it's never been revealed. So when Paul revealed it, and Paul believed that Jesus was coming for his church in his lifetime. He was definitely pre-trip. And in this particular case, he simply said, um, um, this is a mystery. Jesus revealed it to me, and I'm revealing it to you. And that's when we had the first teaching. Of course, we got First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians to, to give us a little bit more information but that's what it means. Jesus was talking. This is the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, Luke chapter 21, Mark chapter 13. This is a very, very Jewish message. The context.
context entirely Jewish and, uh, again, has nothing to do with the rapture of the church. So, Marla, I hope that answers your question. Very good. By the way, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and I do a complete teaching on the rapture. Uh, It is the first study in Revelation chapter 4. I just do one verse, and I go through the Bible, Old Testament and New. And not only is the teaching online, but my my notes are my own commentator. Uh, commentary rather is 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 there as well and and of course everything is free so no problem at all thank you marla good question he'll be the last question of the first half and we would really like your call second half of the program this is from rick he says if jesus is the firstborn as colossians says doesn't it mean that he was created by god um rick the, the word there's prototokos in Greek, and it means first in priority or preeminence. It doesn't mean the firstborn as though Jesus was born. We know Jesus was creator God, um, and so he wasn't born in, in, in a way uh, that you were born or I were born. Uh, David was called the firstborn of Jesse. He was the, the lastborn of Jesse's sons, but he was the preeminent one. He was the one that the story of the Bible uh, revolved around. So the same thing is true with Jesus. He's the firstborn, meaning that uh, of all humans, he had preeminence. He has priority over all other things. That's very important because if you get into the argument, as uh, some Mormons will or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will, well, Jesus was born, which means he was created by God. Jesus always was. He always will be. He says, I am the I am over and over. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So he was not created by God. He was God. And he is just first in priority. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show 340-9585 that's area code 210 here is a question from san stan rather he says what do you teach about tithing um, Stan, I, I teach what I think the Bible teaches pretty clearly. Um, I seem to be in a minority, uh, but but what we teach about tithing is that tithing was under the law. The law has been canceled. And so as New Testament Christians, we're not obligated to tithe. The tithe means a tenth. And uh, we're to, to in the Old Testament, we're, they were to give a tenth. Now, that wasn't the only tithe. They would be other things. And um, so, so um, you know, that law, there's no New Testament teaching on tithing other than what Jesus said. And we have to remember the Jewish context of Jesus' ministry. He said to the religious leaders who were Jews under the law, you tithe and it's right that you do so. 
But beyond that, and again, it was right that they do so because they claim to be under the law. Um, there's no other teaching on tithing. Now, there is teaching on giving. We're to give with a generous heart. We're to give of our own free will. We're, we're to do it joyfully. In fact, the word that, that Paul uses in writing to the Corinthians is hilariously. We're to give hilariously like it's an honor to do it. And the the reason that um, um, most people rebel against it, no, we got to have a number, 10%, uh, because that's a principle in the Bible. It's really not a principle in the Bible. In the New Testament, things change. Grace changes everything. And by the way, that's a great title of one of Pastor Chuck's most important books, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, Why Grace Changes Everything. And uh, so so we, we just ask people to give generously, uh, to ask God, and and we don't make any kind of a show. We don't even pass an offering here, Stan. So uh, tithing is not a New Testament principle. Uh, we Christians uh, who have been saved by grace, uh, we ought to be way, 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 way more generous than uh, than Jews were under the law. Um, and, and so I just think if people will say, Lord, this is all your money, everything I've got, it's yours. So how much of it do I give you? How much of it do you want me to keep? No, he's always going to let you keep the majority. He doesn't need your money. But he wants us to give with a grateful, a cheerful heart. And if we do that, believe me, I think the church would be far more generous in what they give, not only in the amount. And we've demonstrated that here at Calvary Chapel. People, um, we've never asked for a dime. Uh, We've never, uh, in any fashion or form, uh, passed an offering or let our needs be known. And God has been really faithful to provide. So, Stan, I hope that helps. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How you doing, Papa? Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Matthew. Thank you. Uh, you had mentioned you had pre-warned me on that Sunday message, and you had me squirming, you know. Um, <laughs> the whole Sunday. I know you can't see well, but I was moving a lot. Um, and, you know, you obviously know kind of know what's going on. And it's always that um, when we make decisions, right, when we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us somewhere, and then when there's always people saying, like, don't do those things or don't do that, don't. And uh, from my position, is I like, don't take this job, you know, things are going to, things are not, they're very uh, close-minded in, in certain subjects, especially talking about the Lord. And your message was about um, Pastor Paul, and they were sharing to him, you know, let's do this or let's do that. Let's not do this. You know, don't go here. Um, and so when you make a decision and consequences do happen or persecution does happen, you sometimes think, I know I do, I think like, man, I think I made the wrong decision. My loved ones, my immediate loved ones are like, you make the wrong decision, right? Or, you, you know, we're going through this because of, of this and that. Can you expound more on uh, what you had talked about on Sunday and and discerning, you know, not necessarily not listening to people, but also to, you know, maybe there are times we need to listen or uh, just kind of, you know, all that it entails um, your message on Sunday. Uh, yeah. message, Matt, Matthew, I'll do that. Do you do you have a, a, a do I have your permission to share a little bit about your story? I won't I won't give details, but yeah, okay, oh, yeah, okay, course. I'll do that. And uh, Bob from University Online too, if you'd please be patient, I'd, I would I would appreciate it so much. Uh, this is an important question that I have to deal with with Matthew. 
for the audience out there, Matthew comes to our church, and he was let go from his job um, for sharing Jesus. Now, he wasn't sharing Jesus uh, in an obnoxious way. He wasn't, um, you know, sharing Jesus instead of working. Um, he was sharing Jesus when the opportunity to present itself, when people came to him. And it cost him his job. Now, obviously, uh, everybody says, well, you shouldn't have done then because how are you going to make a living? And, and I want Matthew to know, and I want everybody else in the audience to know that I personally think that Matthew is in the best place in his walk with the Lord than he's ever been right now. Because right now, this moment, there's no way to make sense of it. There's no way to do the math and figure it out. Matthew has nobody but God to trust right now. He's got just Jesus. And I've told people always that if you stand for him, he will stand not only for you, but he will stand with you. And he will be with you, Matthew, whatever you're going through. Now, that does not mean that he's going to give you the winning lottery numbers. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have some difficulties. But these are the kind of tests that I talk about a lot. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Well, if, if these are tests and we must prove faithful, then it wouldn't be difficult to prove faithful if, if everything went fine, if there was no test. We go through these difficult things because Jesus, who knows his plan for you, Jesus is preparing you for things that you don't know anything about. And that's why this is the best time of your life in your walk with the Lord. It might be really, really hard. But but look at Paul, the things that he had that were hard. Look at the Apostle John. He ended up on the Isle of Patmos, and I'm sure the devil was there pushing buttons. Here's the thing that we've got to understand. When we are convinced that God told us to do something, and in this case, sharing Jesus is something that we're required to do. We don't get a vote in this. We're to scatter, sow the word of God. And um, um, when we're convinced that we have been obedient, and then there are consequences for that obedience. Two things. One, don't defend yourself. Let Jesus do it. And secondly, when when you know that Jesus told you to do something, you don't let anybody talk you out of it. And that's when we find ourselves in that place where only God can deliver us and we know that his will is going to be done. Matthew is living in a place right now where Romans 8.28 is way more than just a Bible verse. And we know that God works all things together, the good things, the bad things, the hard things. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And uh, you know what? It's, that, that verse is more than just a, a refrigerator magnet or a, or a house plaque verse. It is a genuine promise from God. And um, what we'll encourage Matthew to do is uh, don't give in. Don't give in. Whatever, whatever the cost, uh, God is the one in control, and he will take care of you. It may not be um, the way you want. Uh, if you weren't afraid, if there weren't a test, then you know it wouldn't be something that was difficult at all. So hang in there. Matthew, God has you in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. Thank you, Matthew. Bob, on line two, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Oh, did we lose Bob? Okay, Bob. Oh, hi, Bob. Hi. I'll try to keep this short and succinct if I may. And I, first of all, i got to give you credit. Uh, you take a barrage of diverse questions, and you have to switch gears just constantly. <laughs> and, but uh, I will 
say this. Here's my question. A few weeks ago, close to a month, uh, I ran across some stuff, and I started researching. And I, I won't bother you with detailing all the research I've done, but it's extensive. And, I, and it's, the factually, it appears to be indisputable. But what I cannot find is the answer as to why. I will tell you what I'm referring to. In the original King James, uh, uh, early uh, 1600s and the later, one that came out a number of years later, it's indisputed, and even the Christian writings do not dispute, that they reorganized uh, the books of the uh, Old Testament. And so I went back and I checked in the Jewish system, and they're different than even the modern-day organization of the Christian Old Testament books. And I, I, it's, I, I find it, it's really indisputable that that happened. But what I cannot find is the reason why. And so my question was, if you know, you know, factually why, I would be delighted to hear an answer. And I put a lot of work in, and I'll be happy to listen on the radio to your okay. answer if you don't mind. Thank you, Bob. God bless you. Appreciate the call. Appreciate the, the approach. Uh, a couple of things. First, the Jewish Old Testament uh, is really the same as the, the Old Testament that we have in our modern Bibles. Um, there are uh, different numbers of books. For instance, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles are one book, not two separate books. Uh, remember that the chapter and verse divisions were done, uh, I think, sometime in the 15th century or maybe the 16th century. Uh, and they were put there for convenience, but but it's the same. Now, Bob, one of the, the, the things that might help you reconcile the Old Testament you've got in your King James Bible and the Old Testament that you've got um, looking at, at, the, at the Jewish Bible is, is find a copy of the Septuagint. It is a Greek Old Testament, about 189 B.C., and uh, it is one of our most reliable manuscripts or or, or, or translations of, of the Old Testament. It is excellent. And a lot of our translations relied heavily on the Greek Septuagint uh, in order to, uh, to uh, correctly, accurately translate the Old Testament. But, but the, 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 if, if that's what you mean by some books rearranged, um, it's just some of the books are one book. Um, other than that, the and I don't know if you're referring to the uh, uh, the apographa, uh, the apographa, uh, which is in the Catholic Bible. Uh, the apographa has never been accepted. Those books have never been accepted as scripture by the Jews in the history of of the of the, the Old Testament scriptures. So uh, we didn't remove books. Um, the, the Catholics really added books and and put books in um, their Old Testament uh, that, that are really not a part of the canon of Scripture. They're not inspired by God. Now, I think they have some historical value, and I think there's some insight that we can gain from them, but it would be something similar to uh, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. While there's value in it, God didn't write those. The 66 books that we have in our Bibles, Old and New Testament, those were the books that were written by God. Now, let me give you a, a, a great resource that will answer that question, Bob, if you really like doing the research, uh, and it seems that you do. Um, get the, the, the New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. 
and go to the sections, pretty large section in that large book uh, about how we got the canon of Scripture uh, and what the evidence for the veracity of the canon of Scripture is. And uh, I think you'll find a, an organized process of of um, how we got our Bible and how we arrived at what we did. Let me also, and this was not Bob's question, so I don't think Bob in, was implying this at all. But just because I get this question so often, um, the translations that we have, um, most of them are really, really good translations. And there's differences uh, because they're translating different sets of manuscripts. The King James, the New King James, uh, are are primarily translating from the Texas Receptus or the majority text. The newer versions, whether it's the NIV, the NASB, uh, the ESV, or any of the newer, more modern translations, they're translating from the Alexandrian set of manuscripts, which are older, and generally speaking, scholars believe. Now, I don't agree with this, but generally speaking, scholars agree that if something is older, then it's more authentic or more trustworthy. Now, I think that's a spurious argument, but but that is a majority position. And that's why if you get a newer translation and there is a verse that's left out, you'll see it at the bottom and it will, they will say some manuscripts have and then they'll put the verse down there. But um, believe me, Bob and everybody else in the audience, we can hold on to uh, our Bibles, the translations that we have. They are excellent. Now, obviously, I like some better than others. Uh, but as long as you're not dealing with a paraphrase, um, uh, the translations are very trustworthy. Great question, Bob. Thank you. And I love it when people are studying and interested in doing it. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Janet wants to know, um, why does the Bible condemn sorcery or astrology? Why doesn't God want us to know the future? Um, you know, Janet, the question, why does the Bible condemn something, isn't important. I'm going to deal with this briefly tonight in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, because God talks about mediums and uh, we say fortune tellers or spiritists, um, tarot card readers, things like that. And, and he says, stay away from them. And then the reason he gives is, I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's in charge. He makes the call. So asking why is really not a position we should take. Now, your other question, I think, is an important one and a question God would uh, enjoy you asking. Why do you not want us to know the future? And God would say, and pardon me for being cheesy here, but God would say, um, I hold your future in my hands. I want you to stay right there in my hands. Isn't it true that Jesus said that that uh, um, the Father has you in his hands and no one can, the King James used the word pluck. No one can pluck you out of his hands. And then Jesus says, I have you in my hands and no one can pluck you out of my hands. I call that the double pluck security theory. And, and uh, Jesus says, how about you just stay in my hand and trust me? And Janet, that's what faith is. Now, God knows. It's not that he doesn't want us to know. He's trying to hide information from us. But God knows that that the enemy is behind sorcery and astrology. Um, it's, it's demon spirits. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with God. And um, they'll give you 
a future with enough little truth in it and general enough that you can say, wow, that really happened. But remember, the devil knows a lot of stuff about all of us. And he can be very, very general. But God speaking to you, when God speaks, it's 100% true. And so God simply says, don't do this thing. You remember when uh, um, Saul um, completely rebelled against God and God wasn't hearing his prayers, uh, he went to the witch of Endor, First Samuel chapter 28. And uh, as he said, call up Samuel. I need some advice. And Samuel came up. And Samuel was surprised. Why are you bothering me with this? And, and Saul was told, you and your sons are going to be dead tomorrow. I mean, this is just not something that God wants us to do. And we shouldn't do it. The Bible tells you all the future you need. And then we have to walk by faith. That's what God says. We walk by faith, not by sight. And he wants you to know that he's the one that controls your future. And when we think that we can get a future in astrology or a future with a tarot card reader or a fortune teller uh, or, or on a Ouija board or any any kind of silliness like that, um, that demonstrates that we have absolutely no faith at all in God. And Janet, here's the most important thing I'm going to say to you. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, you want to please God? Then trust Him with your future. Thank you for the question, Janet. I appreciate it. Um, Anonymous says, uh, I promise every year to read my Bible consistently, but so far I haven't done so. Do you have any advice for me? Um, Anonymous, yeah, you're spiritually lazy. You need to discipline yourself. You need self-control. By the way, self-control, Galatians chapter 5, is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're unable to exercise self-control, personal discipline, then you're not walking in the power of the Spirit. You're, you're in fact, appeasing your flesh. That's what spiritual laziness is. It's just giving in to your flesh. Why do you want to read the Bible? Is it something you just want to do because that's what Christians are supposed to do? Or do you really want to hear from God? Do you want God to talk to you? Do you you want answers to the questions in life? You see, Jesus has so much for you. but, But here's the key. It has to be important enough to you to put some work in. You know, the idea that we can get a Cliff Notes version one of the reasons, uh, Anonymous, that, that people like to hear prophets and why there's so many false prophets out there that are prospering is because if if I can hear from God through somebody, then I don't have to go to the work of reading the Bible. And what you've done is you've just decided that being spiritually lazy is more important to you. Your spare time, whatever it is you're doing with it, that's more important to you than hearing from God. And I can promise you, Anonymous, that if you continue in this path, then things are going to get harder and harder. Jesus has heard every promise you've made to read the Bible. He knows every time you've broken it. So here's what I would suggest you do. First, repent. Tell the Lord, I have lied to you repeatedly. And I'm sorry. Now, don't just do that as an exercise. It can't be just words. You've got to be truly sorry. And if you think God is just going to, like, 
send a bolt of lightning and suddenly you're going to be really turned on by the Word. It's going to be hard work. Reading the Word, studying the Bible, rightly dividing it. It says we should be workmen or workwomen, rightly dividing the Word. Work is work. It doesn't come easy. But it will pay off more than any exercise that you will ever engage in, Anonymous. So, repent. Tell God, I've lied to you repeatedly, and I'm really sorry. And then say, Lord, will you empower me to, to, to resist a temptation to be lazy again? And I'm going to start in Genesis 1-1 right now. Now, let me make it a little bit more interesting for you. Uh, as you're reading the Bible, now, in, in my particular case, Anonymous, when I got saved, I, I wanted to read through the Bible, um, and um, I, I found out, just doing some math, that if I read 10 chapters every day, I could read through the Bible twice in a year. So I read 10 chapters every day. I'd, I'd read five chapters in the Old Testament and five chapters in the New Testament. So start in Genesis 1-1, read five chapters, and then go to Matthew 1-1 and read five chapters. Or go to John and read five. Just, just read through it. Now keep also this in mind. The Bible's not one book. We have a tendency to think of this is my book. This is the Bible. It's 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. And it's fascinating. It is completely internally consistent. It is without error. It is infallible. And it has the answers to every single thing that you will ever deal with. So Anonymous, just discipline yourself. Self-control. It'll change your life, I promise. Okay, we are almost out of time. Um, Robert says, I'll get this question, we'll be done. I know you're in Leviticus now on Wednesdays. What value did the Levitical sacrifices have since they couldn't take away sin? Is it that they just pointed to Jesus? No, there was practical value too, Robert. Yes, they did point to Jesus for sure. God was painting pictures. The Old Testament, I always look at it as sort of a, um, a connect the dots book. If you If you connect the dots, the New Testament sort of fills in the picture, brings color and life to it. But the Levitical sacrifices, while pointing to Jesus, they also covered over sin. It was like a temporary atonement from year to year between uh, the Yom Kippur dates. Um, God would accept the sacrifices and their sins were covered over. Now, only Jesus could completely wipe them away. But it was the the uh, Levitical sacrifices that allowed their sins to be covered over and maintain in that year fellowship with God. So, Robert, it's really important. Uh, Leviticus, I've, I've found, is way more important than I thought, even for a New Testament perspective. It's not always interesting, and sometimes it can be gross, but it really has great value. So, Robert, I hope that helps. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for your phone calls. Um, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be in Leviticus chapter 19. Very practical. I think um, um, people will enjoy it. Uh, tomorrow, Paul will be live in studio on the Date Day edition, and we'd love to have you call. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 